We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 594 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. It is Flag Day 2023. A happy Flag Day to those who celebrate. A happy Stanley Cup title to the Vegas Golden Knights. They have won the Cup, the team that the Capitals beat to win the 2018 Stanley Cup title. That team now has a Stanley Cup title, a 9-3 smashing of the Florida Panthers on Tuesday night to win the Stanley Cup final four games to one. You know, this is the sixth season of existence for the Golden Knights, and they already have two conference championships and a Stanley Cup title. Not bad. And their president of hockey operations and alternate governor is, yes, George McPhee, the man who ran the Caps for years, June 1997 until April 2014. The man who with the Caps was known as GM GM, one of the best nicknames in Washington, D.C. sports history. GM GM, General Manager George McPhee. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast. Do we now know when the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris Group might be finalized? Uh, we on Tuesday night had multiple reports that NFL owners have been told to reserve July 20th and August 8th as dates for a possible special league meeting, presumably for a vote on the sale of the team. So keep those dates in mind. Keep them free, July 20th and August 8th. You know, this also is the day after the commanders announced that they have a new team dog, Goldie, replacing Mando. Uh, Goldie soon will begin training with a special group, Canines for Warriors, to become a service dog for a uh, military veteran in need. Uh, Mando now is a service dog for a military veteran in need. So a very good cause. Uh, the commanders on Tuesday afternoon put out a video of head coach Rod Rivera calling Goldie as if Goldie was being drafted by the commanders. Now, the dog's name is Goldie, not Goldie. But in watching the video, I kept hearing Ron vaguely saying my last name. Uh, anyway, here you go. Hey, Goldie. This is Coach Rivera at the Washington Commanders. How you doing? Now, listen, pup. We got an opening. And right now, we think we got an opportunity to draft you and have you become a commander. No, that's right. We want you to be a commander. We want you to be the team dog. Yeah, so Goldie, not Goldie, <laughs> Goldie is the commander's new team dog. Uh, the commanders tweeted out this video, and uh, as is usually the case, the comments for the tweet were the best part <laughs> of the tweet. Uh, here were some of the responses to this tweet of the video of Ron Rivera pretending to call up the new team dog, Goldie. <laughs> He's already better than any commander's quarterback. Another tweet, no wonder why we suck. We keep making these type of vids. Another tweet, pathetic. Give the fans and franchise a proper rebrand ASAP. <laughs> Jeez, some of you people are so harsh. You're so mean. 
well, a man who I know is a fan of dogs is Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. And coming up next segment is part two of my two-part conversation, my two-part extravaganza with John. Uh, and we in this part two are going to go in-depth on Commander's quarterback, Sam Howell, including the truth about this uh, quarterback competition with Jacoby Brissett and something that I've been wondering about and have brought up. Are there parallels between Sam Howell and a Washington quarterback of recent vintage who, like Sam, was taken on a day three of an NFL draft? Kirk Cousins. Oh, I know, just the mere mention of that guy's name triggers people in all kinds of ways. But forget about the never-ending Kirk Cousins debate, okay? Put that aside. Kirk as a day three pick, as a fourth-round pick, in the 2012 NFL draft was an excellent pick. If you don't at least acknowledge that, you're off your rocker, okay? And the reason that he should be viewed as an excellent pick is that he has ended up being a good NFL starting quarterback. Not great, but good. And that is tremendous value to, with a fourth round pick, get a guy who ends up being a good NFL starting quarterback. Uh, albeit not always for you, but we don't have to revisit that. Uh, But Kirk is one of the few day three quarterbacks who have turned out to be good NFL quarterbacks. Are there parallels? Are there similarities between Kirk Cousins and Sam Howell? I mean, would you not right now take Sam being another Kirk? If I gave you a piece of paper right now, and said, if you sign this piece of paper, Sam Howell this coming season will do as Kirk did in the 2015 and 2016 seasons. Would you not sign that piece of paper? I would in a heartbeat. Uh, Anyway, John Kime, next segment with tremendous perspective uh, on Sam Howell. Also on the show, I will talk Nationals. Uh, They on Tuesday night played a game at the Houston Astros for the first time since Game 7 of the 2019 World Series, but uh, things in this game did not go as well as things went in that game. A 6-1 loss at the Astros. Uh, The Nats are reeling right now. They've lost 10 of their last 13 games, and I will discuss the Orioles. Uh, They are not reeling right now. Five consecutive wins, the latest an 11-6 pounding of the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night as infielder Gunnar Henderson remains on fire. Uh, He on Tuesday night, three for five with a grand slam and two singles. Well, we just talked some puck with the Vegas Golden Knights winning the 2023 Stanley Cup title. Former Capitals head coach Peter Laviolette has a new job. He now is the New York Rangers head coach. The Rangers made the announcement on Tuesday afternoon. Laviolette was the Caps head coach from September 2020 until this past April. He really did not do that bad of a job as Caps head coach. He just didn't do a great job as Caps head coach. And uh, younger Caps players didn't exactly thrive with uh, Laviolette as head coach. And so the team, uh, as it now is in the midst of this retool, made the change. But, you know, the Rangers are the sixth NHL team for which Peter Laviolette has served as head coach. The other five teams, the Caps, the Nashville Predators, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the New York Islanders. Uh, Laviolette, in fact, is number one in the history of the NHL in regular season wins by a U.S.-born head coach. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I've received some feedback on uh, the Wizards of our recent conversations about the Wiz with their new look front office. Email from Rich writes, Rich, I enjoyed your perspective on the Wizards' new front office. The Wizards have been bad for over 40 years. Kevin Durant avoided his uh, native area as if the Black Plague was back. He's from here. He knows. KD knows that the Wizards are a reverse car wash. Everyone looks worse when leaving here. Stay clear. There have been brief glimmers of uh, refracted light over the years. Chris Webber, Joanna go to McDonald's, <laughs> Rod Strickland, Agent Zero, etc., all provided Bullet Slash Wizards fans with feelings of hope, but now futility has bred a lack of caring. No one reasonably expects the Wizards to do well. Even the local pundits' Homer musings sound tired and hollow. 
tearing apart the front office was needed, but it's just a good start. The curse of Leboulet can't be lifted without a radical approach. We need a Sodom and Gomorrah type biblical annihilation. Tear down the offices, burn them to the ground, poison the ground so that nothing can ever be built on that ground again. No grass, no flowers, no trees, nothing should ever be able to grow from that spot, lest the curse live on. Make it a fan-involved event. We need a cleansing, a purge to break this cycle. Only this kind of drastic action can reset the collective psyche of Wizards fans. Maybe just maybe, with this kind of a reset and a few wins, the Wizards can rescue their fans from the grip of the apathy and malaise that oppress them. If you have a better idea, I'm willing to listen. Uh, Keep up the good work. (laughs) Thank you for the email, Rich. Uh, You know, a lot has been made of the erosion of the fan base of the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders, and for good reason, by the way. But what I felt for a while is that the team of Washington, D.C. that should be most worried about an erosion of fans is the Wizards. To me, when you rank the big four pro sports teams of D.C. in terms of popularity and just people caring about those teams, the Wizards are the clear number four. The Commanders are number one. I'd say that the Nationals are number two, the Capitals number three, and the Wizards number four. The Wizards for this past NBA regular season ranked dead last out of 30 NBA teams in percent capacity for home games. Dead last. Uh, This is going back a few years, but Sports Business Journal in December 2019 reported that the Wizards ratings on NBC Sports Washington were down 57% from the previous season. Think about that. 57%. And just anecdotally, there has been such a lack of juice for the Wizards for years now. I mean, the Wizards last July re-signed Bradley Beal to the richest contract in D.C. sports history, the five-year, $251 million Supermax contract. And the contract was met with one of two reactions, mocking or apathy. Fans either mocked the contract or didn't care about the contract. Compare that to when the commanders in late June of last year agreed on their contract extension with receiver Terry McLaurin. Fans rejoiced. There was celebration. People were really happy. And the difference between the reactions of Beal re-signing with the Wizards and Terry re-signing with the commanders to me was so telling. And especially now with new ownership coming in for the football team, there is a hope. There is an optimism that fans of the team have not had in a while. With the Wizards, things have felt so hopeless. Uh, Now, maybe that's changing with this new look for an office that has been very well received. But, you know, something that the football team has had going forward, even during the uh, darkest of times, is that the team is part of the NFL, the National Football League, a colossus of revenue and popularity in which even the worst teams make money and have fans. The NFL is the ultimate rising tide that lifts all boats. The NBA is not the NFL. The commanders, just by being in the NFL, have been guaranteed a certain level of profitability and popularity. You can't say that about the Wizards with them being in the NBA. Now, you know, the NBA isn't some mom and pop shop, but the NBA isn't the NFL. Email from Mike on something that I've talked about on the podcast this week. The Wizards owner, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO, Ted Leonsis, his appearance on the Woj Pod. Uh, Ted, in that appearance, basically saying that the Wizards' former president and general manager, Tommy Shepard, had no plan. Writes Mike, to hear Ted snivel (laughs) and whine about Tommy Shepard ruining the Wizards nearly made me run off the road while listening. Is Leonsis not aware that most of us are calendar proficient? Shepard ran things for four years. What about the other decade of terribleness and now complete irrelevance? Leonsis is terrible and should be embarrassed by himself and his total lack of accountability. Thanks, Al. Just had to vent. Glad you are feeling better. Well, thank you for that, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, 
Uh, Ted Leonsis formally took control of the Wizards as lead owner in June 2010. Uh, The team over its 13 seasons with Ted as lead owner has made the playoffs just five times and has finished with a regular season record above 500 just four times. Uh, Tommy Shepard ran Wizards basketball operations from April 2019 until April 2023. There is a lot more to the Wizards being where they are beyond Tommy's time running things. To say nothing of what I've talked about and what Mike hit on in his email, Ted Leonsis is the owner. The team is his. Everything that happens with the team ultimately is on Ted. Tommy did not do some bang-up job running the Wizards, but the notion that Ted was some innocent, powerless victim in all of this is ridiculous. Well, I do like these hires that Ted has made. So hopefully, Michael Winger as the president of Monumental Basketball and Will Dawkins as the general manager of the Wizards and Travis Schlenk as the senior vice president of player personnel of the Wizards uh, all do well, okay? And uh, I hope like heck that these guys do well. And hopefully, you are doing well. But if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, if someone who you know has been harmed by the negligence of someone else, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you and will fight for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. By the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was recently named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, this by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, Heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. So the Commander's 2023 offseason program is over. Uh, The team on Tuesday held a light workout and positional meetings as opposed to the OTA practice that had been scheduled for that day. The commanders on Monday morning told reporters that the team would not be conducting the OTA practice on Tuesday uh, that had been scheduled uh, due to the coaching staff believing that the offseason program had gone well and uh, also not wanting to risk injury. I do find it funny that the team this offseason already down to OTA practices due to excessive contact during the 2022 offseason program did not have a problem canceling this OTA practice for Tuesday. The commanders this offseason ended up having just six as opposed to nine OTA practices. I'm not a huge fan of players skipping these OTA practices, given how few of them there are. But what does it say about how much the team values the OTA practices when even when already down to OTA practices, the team cancels in OTA practice? Uh, Anyway, now the break has begun. Uh, The commanders won't be together again as a team until training camp which will begin on Thursday, July 27th. And hopefully before then, we will have the finalizing of the sale of the commander's 
to the Josh Harris Group. But in the meantime, I have lots of good guests planned for the show as we make our way through the annual break of about six weeks between the end of the offseason program and the beginning of training camp. And right now we have part two of my conversation with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. Uh, John is the dean of insiders for the team. He has covered the team since 1994. He has a podcast, The John Keim Report. You can follow John on Twitter at John underscore Keim, which is spelled K-E-I-M. Uh, John joined me on Tuesday's show, episode 593, for part one of our conversation. We, in part one, talked about the sale of the commanders. We talked about the offseason that the commanders have had and whether it has uh, truly been impacted by the sale. We talked about Eric Bieniemy as the team's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator and whether he is in fact just what the team needed and more. Uh, but time now for part two in which we are going to focus on the man being positioned to be the commander's starting quarterback this coming season, Sam Howell. So for the purpose of taking a step back and viewing what's going on with Sam with uh, some perspective. Uh, John, if you had to explain to someone who doesn't follow the team why the team is positioning Sam Howell, a guy who the team took in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL draft uh, and who has played in just one NFL regular season game to be the team's QB1 for the upcoming season, a season in which the head coach, Ron Rivera, almost certainly needs to do well in order to not get fired. Uh, what would your explanation be all right, how much time do we have? Left here? <laughs> <laughs> that that. So I always go back, to, and I said this earlier. What did I know at the time of the draft? What I knew before the draft was that they viewed him in, in very favorable terms, and that I was told that if they had not traded for Carson Wentz, the quarterback they would have targeted in the draft was Sam Howell. So I go back there. So they liked him in the beginning. Now, then someone can say, why did they wait till the fifth round? Because they didn't feel like they needed to address the position because they thought that Wentz, if nothing else, would be there for them for a couple of years. I mean, clearly that didn't work out that way. But at the time, that's what they were thinking. And then you also had Taylor Heineke. But when he's sitting there in the fifth, it's like it's way too good a value. You have to take him now. So we go back to that. And then I think it was also the improvements they saw in him during this season. And because when he got here, the, the number one thing you'd hear is the footwork is not very good. And, you know, in talking to people from North Carolina and talking to how the, the footwork in the Carolina system dramatically different than this. I mean, he, you know, he, there are a lot of times he's backpedaling, looking at the line, kind of old school NFL stuff. Now you're, you're sidestepping, right? So like, it's, it's just, Little things are different, and then the timing of the routes and the play. So we had to get used to that, and then they liked how he developed in that area. They they already liked his arm. They felt his arm was very good. They liked the quick twitch aspect of it. In other words, like you see it, you let it go, right? Um, and you know they liked that. So they are those traits they already liked. Then you combine it with seeing better footwork, and then they're latching on to the fact that the previous year at North Carolina before he came out. He had a really good year when surrounded with better talent. So they're kind of like there's there's definitely partial there's partial leap of faith because you know um, people can say he would have been this pick or that pick, but the bottom line is he was in the fifth round, and so there is some leap of faith there. But there are traits that they liked, and then when they saw the development and they watched him in practice, they felt like he was getting ready, and they. They had wanted to see him. I know some there wanted to see him earlier in the season, but in mop-up duty to see is what you're seeing in practice translating to the field, you know? And, and so, like, that's something they couldn't get answered until the very end. But so then you combine all that, Al, and I think, like, that's that's why we're in this situation. And then, then the other factor is, they want a rookie, they want a quarterback on a rookie contract. That's a big deal. That fact or the, having somebody like that if if he works out you know for people who want to keep chase young and montez sweat now that's a lot to invest in one position you can argue you know that's a different point to debate but if you want to try and keep them both having a quarterback on a rookie contract allows you to do that so that's a factor here as well so i think there's a you know they i think they want him to win the job in part for that reason and combined with like they like this trade this trade and that trade so still things to work on for him. I mean, he's got to be careful with the ball. You know, they're big on the turnover margin as they should be. And can he take care of the ball enough to do that? But those other traits are why they feel like 
maybe he's got a chance to do something good. As you know, a lot gets made of Sam Howell being a 2022 fifth round pick and how rare it is for a non-first round quarterback, especially a day three quarterback, to end up being a good NFL quarterback. But what's funny is that Washington, in its recent history, very much has hit on a day three quarterback. Uh, Kirk Cousins, right? 2012 fourth round pick. Uh, now, the Sam Howell and Kirk Cousins situations are very different, and the two guys play quarterback in different ways, but do you see any similarities between Sam and Kirk from a standpoint of, hey, Kirk beat the odds as a fourth-round pick and became a good NFL quarterback and has these traits, and Sam also has these traits? Um, I hadn't really thought about it too much because, you know, I also remember Todd Husack, who was a fifth round pick who didn't pan out. So like <laughs> there are other guys who have it, but I think, but I think it's an interesting question now. And so when you look at it, one thing they both share is they're both very smart and that matters. Like I think Kirk, like when we would go to the locker room uh, when he was a rookie or first, second year, he was always studying his his playbook somewhere, right? And so, like, he was well-versed in that offense. He understood it. He understood his role within that offense. So I think that's an important thing as well. And I think Kirk had one, you know, I brought up the quick twitch. One of the things that the co- coaches liked about Kirk, they would talk about him having special arm talent. And people hear that and think it means he has a howitzer. No, it's about, for their, and their definition, it was, you know, he you look first read, second read, not there. You get to the third read, or you see a guy open, boom, ball's coming out. There's no hesitation when you see that guy. Like that's where they talk about the quick twitch, and I think that's something that they wanted with Howell. Excuse me, they wanted a quarterback here, and they feel like they have that with Howell. So you know, there I guess there are probably some similarities. There are different style quarterbacks because Howell can run a little bit, and that kind of opens it up. Kirk's a little bit taller, a couple inches taller. That you know, so for a pocket passer. That helps him. I think what 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 Kirk really understood is who he is as a quarterback, and I think that's why he's lasted um, because he understands like he has to get rid of the ball or he's in trouble. You know, whereas like some if you're a mobile guy, you know you don't have to do that because you can maybe get out of it. How's kind of that mix? Like he's not Lamar Jackson, but he's also not Kirk, who's more of stationary. You know, a little bit more stationary. So understanding who you are is a big deal. And the work, I think the work, and again, not just like, are you lifting weights and running? It's what are you doing as a quarterback to get better and, and studying the tapes and what is your understanding of these offense and how you fit in there and what you need to do. That's where I think Howell can do it. Now, the other thing to, to, to note, the hard part with Howell is, and I do think he has a chance to be good. Like I, there's a lot that I like about him. The question though is when does he become good? Because like I've heard, you know, they, they definitely feel he could be better than Taylor Heineke. Well, Taylor Heineke took how many years to get to this point, right? And, and he comes in with better, more talent than Heineke. You know, Kirk took a few years to, to move past that growing pains. And, you know, so how long does that take? How and how much does the staff help him? get past those growing pains, right? Like that's something I think that is um, a factor as well. So I, and, and I think Kirk was surrounded by really, really good coaches. You know, he came in with, you know, he's got Kyle, he's got McVeigh, you know, Jay, Jay was a very good offensive head, you know, offensive mind. And, but he, and he had Kevin O'Connell. I mean, like look at the coaches that worked with him. And I think with, with Sam, you know, I think one thing, one of the things that Biennemi, I think, does well or will do well is I. it seems like there's a, a better creative way to get some of these playmakers the ball. At least that's how they think. This is the spring. You know, you know, Al, there's always a spring optimism talk, right? That's one of the spring optimism talks is creative ways to get the playmakers the ball. Sam can get rid of the ball quick, the quick decisions. You get Dotson in space, blah, 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 McLaurin, all those guys. And I think, you know, setting things up better. So maybe there's more internal support to help him succeed, just like there was with Kirk. I think Tavita Pritchard is a, seems like will be a good quarterbacks coach for them. So there, you know, you know, so there are some similarities, but it's, you know, obviously they're different styles, but it's an interesting question. So I'm glad you asked. We're talking with Commander's Insider John Keim of ESPN. What I think is so interesting, too, is given the pressure on Ron Rivera to win this coming season, will he be willing to stick with Sam Howell 
as a team starting quarterback if Sam gets off to a slow start, as Kirk Cousins got off to a slow start in that 2015 regular season. You know, something with the Kirk saga that I'll never forget is the head coach, Jay Gruden. August 31st, 2015, what I called the day of the Kirk Cousins coup, (laughs) uh, saying that Kirk was the team starting quarterback for the 2015 season. Not for week one, not for now, but for the 2015 season. Jay committed to Kirk. Is Ron willing to commit to Sam like that? Because as you know, the Sam who we see in September could be a lot different than the Sam who we see in November. But will Sam be given that opportunity for growth? And I think it depends on why is that why what's the reason for the struggle? So, you know, is it the line is breaking down, you know, which I mean, who knows? And if that's the case, or is it the decision making? Because the, the emphasis will be on decision making. But you're right. I also believe like if this were Rivera's second year, you're rolling with Sam all year, right? Because, you know, like, hey, this is the guy we believe in him. And what you see in September is going to be different than what you see in November and December. And that's what, you know, you're trying to get to, right? So that's a good question. And, you know, part of me wondered too, if he struggled in training camp, if you don't just go to Brissette for the, for the first month, because that's when you have a, you have, you know, for those six, first six games, every game in this league is winnable, but that the more favorable part of their schedule is in that first six weeks. There are a couple hard games, obviously, but you have some games that like are highly winnable there that you cannot, you cannot afford to lose to Arizona. You know, Denver is going to be, you know, a tough game because it's on the road, but new, new, new coach as good as he is. Um, and where's Russell Wilson. So that's a winnable game on the road. So you can't, you can't let those opportunities pass, but it is a big part. Like, and this is where, for Rivera, I think they need to have that ownership situation settled so we can go to them and say, this is my thinking with Sam Howell. So you understand, like, I'm not just playing this guy because of this. This is what we see, and this is where he's going to get to. And then if he gets to that point, they can say, oh, okay, maybe we have something. But that's, you know, I think um, <clears throat> it, it will always be what, where can you get to? And what, and I, you know, Al, it, it's also like, there are measuring points, right? So we just get through the spring and there's one, you know, what you saw at the end of the season versus what you see now. What difference, what differences did you see in his game? Then when we get, when we're in training camp, what differences do you see from the spring? Is he developing? Is he progressing? Is he get? is he making the same mistakes or not? Because if he is, then you have to wonder about the development overall. I think he's the kind of guy who does not make a lot of the same mistakes twice. I think, again, he's a smart quarterback, uh, and he's also more aggressive than Jacoby, so he's going to make some more mistakes that are going to be pronounced because of that. So, you know, you can live with you. How much do you live with those, and are you putting the defense in a bad situation? So there's a lot of things that I think would be considered in that, uh, and you know, as opposed to like with, with the Robert one, well, it's Jay's second year. Um, and so you're, it's easier to roll with a guy like that. And plus they already knew that Robert was just not cutting it for them. And I think, I think Gruden kind of knew that in his first year, it's just a matter of getting, uh, Kirk up to that point or, you know, if Colt had ever surpassed him, you know, but there, there was, you know, it's funny because I just remember it was very telling. There was one time that summer, right before, shortly before that announcement, I was doing a sports center hit outside the facility and it was like the cameras are like sitting right in front of Jay's car. So Jay comes out after my hit and I talked to him briefly and asked him about Robert. And it's one of those, you know, you kind of rub your neck a little bit cause you're, it's one of those tells, right? <laughs> so you rub your neck, you're looking uncomfortable, like, yeah, you know, blah, blah. Then I asked him about Kirk and his eyes lit up. And then, and I thought it's a wrap. It's his job. It's just a matter of when he announces it. So, you know, you can see that stuff. But um, I think in this case, they really like Hal and they really want him to win that job um, or they want him. They want they believe in him, his ability to win that job. So one of the most endearing things about Jay Gruden was that he so could not hide his true feelings about things. You totally could tell how he felt about players and situations with the way that he spoke. A thousand percent. And there were times, Al, like, as you get down to the final cuts, you know, you're like, you want to know about, excuse me, you want to know about a guy, like, hey, what do you think about this guy? And based on, I was like, all right, he's on, you know, or he's not on, or he's in trouble. You could, <laughs> you could always kind of tell because you're right, Jay, Jay was, Jay, 
it, I don't, even in like in private dealings with him, I don't feel like he ever lied to me. Now, he may not tell you something, but that was the tell. Now, you can't report like, well, based on the fact that the head coach didn't get back to me, this is going to happen. I can't say that for sure, but I know that's probably going to happen because he's really, he was really, really, he, you know, he was honest to a fault. And um, so, yeah. That is so funny. Uh, just to be clear, regarding the quarterback competition with Jacoby Brissett, to whatever extent the competition exists, it is in fact the case that Sam Howell, at least in the offseason practices open to the media, received every first-team practice rep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the competition comes in the sense that if, if, if um, Howell isn't developing the way they hope, the door is there for Jacoby. I mean, they, they have a, there's a, I, you know, it, it would not shock me if Jacoby did something because they think highly of him. And I think, you know, he's a professional quarterback. He knows how to stay ready. He knows what he needs to do. There are different styles. Again, I think Howell is just definitely more aggressive. And I, I've, I saw, you could see Jacoby's timing improve over the three weeks we were out there in the offense. And so I think the competition comes as much initially from is how developing. And, you know, I think you're going to have Jacoby in meeting rooms, in interactions with guys. How is he there? And so like, that's all part of the equation. So just if, even if you're not alternating reps, you're still competing, you know, because if you don't progress, you're going to lose the job. And so that's where the, it's, it doesn't all, it's not, a, this is not a, today it's Jacoby's turn with the ones and tomorrow it's his turn with the ones. It is a, this guy's going in there as, as a starter. And as long as he progresses, he will maintain that job. If he doesn't, this guy's going to be ready because they, they do have confidence in him. And again, Jacoby's a professional, professional QB who's coming off one of his better years. And the reason the Browns didn't win with him is because the defense sucked, not because of him. Yeah, he had a very good season last season, no doubt. Commander's Insider, John Keim of ESPN. John, thanks so much for spending some time with us these last two episodes. All the best. Awesome, Al. Thanks. Enjoyed it. All right, John Keim. Really good stuff on Sam Howell. Uh, if you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast, five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long, can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot, so thank you very much for doing them. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the Nationals on Tuesday night played their first game at the Houston Astros since 2019 World Series Game 7, October 30th, 2019, a 6-2 win at Minute Maid Park in a game in which the Nats overcame a 2-0 7th inning deficit. One of the many remarkable things about the 2019 World Series champion Nats, they won five postseason games in which the team faced elimination came from behind to win each of those games. Well, the Nats on Tuesday night, remarkably, also were down 2 nothing 
in the seventh inning, but uh, this time there was no comeback. A 6-1 loss at the Astros on Tuesday night in game one of a three-game series. The Nats now have lost 10 of their last 13 games, now are 26-39, and second-worst record in the National League. Uh, the Nats won that 2019 World Series despite having a uh, bad bullpen. Uh, the Nats this season have a bad bullpen, and I thought that how manager Davey Martinez played things on Tuesday night was notable. So three Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in three innings. Now, Mason Thompson was really good, perfect bottom of the six with two strikeouts, but then to begin the bottom of the seventh, Davey Martinez went to Chad Cool. Uh, this is the same Chad Cool who was demoted to the bullpen of having struggled as a starter. Now, the Nats were only down 2 nothing at this point. Davies' top two relievers, Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan, have barely pitched lately, but Davey went with Chad Cool, and the game ended up unraveling. Cool uh, in the bottom of the seventh allowed two runs. He gave up a leadoff homer by the Astros' number nine batter, Martin Maldonado, to left field for a 3 nothing Astros lead. Cool then issued a one-out walk of Jose Altuve, gave up a one-out first pitch, opposite field single by Alex Bregman to right field and gave up a two-out opposite field RBI single by Jose Abreu to right center field for a 4 nothing Astros lead. And then Thaddeus Ward in the bottom of the eighth allowed two runs. He gave up a leadoff homer by Chaz McCormick to left center field on a 1-2 pitch for a 5-1 Astros lead, issued a walk of Jake Myers, and gave up a two-out RBI single by Jose Altuve to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 6-1 Astros lead. So the Nats were down 2 nothing entering the bottom of the seventh. They ended up getting outscored the rest of the game 4-1. Now, <laughs> I earlier called Hunter Harvey and Kyle Finnegan the Nats' top two relievers. They are, but the truth is that no Nats reliever has been great lately. Harvey has been the team's best reliever this season, but, you know, calling Finnegan the team's number two reliever is a bit misleading. He has not had a good season, but it just was tough seeing a close game become not so close. Uh, it is difficult with this Nats bullpen, though, okay? It is not good. David Martinez, in a lot of ways, is darned if he does and darned if he doesn't in terms of using guys, and it may be that the Nats need Harvey and Finnegan over the final two games of this series, but it certainly stuck out how the game went from competitive to uh, not so competitive with what happened with Chad Cool and Thaddeus Ward pitching on Tuesday night. Now, the Nats in this game only scored one run, so ultimately who Davey Martinez used out of his bullpen didn't really matter. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday night scored just one run, totaled just six hits, did work three walks, but the six hits were made up of two doubles and four singles. The Nats in this game got out-homered 4 nothing. although all four of the Astros' homers were solo homers. Uh, but also, the Nats in this game won for six, with runners in scoring position. The Nats in the top of the third had runners on second and third with no outs, didn't score. The Nats in the top of the sixth had runners on first and second with one out and didn't score. Uh, Cape Bitt Ruiz continues to struggle. He is an at starting catcher and number six batter went 0 for 4. Joey Manessis as an at starting DH and number three batter 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Jamer Candelario as the at starting third baseman and number four batter 0 for 3 with a walk and three strikeouts. Uh, Lane Thomas did get on base three times. He is an at starting right fielder and number one batter. Went two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Thomas in the top of the first, a leadoff walk, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Thomas in the top of the six, a one-out single to left field, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And Thomas in an at's one-run eighth, a two-out double off the left center field warning track. Uh, Luis Garcia drove in Thomas in that one-run eighth. Uh, Garcia, as the Nats starting second base, made a number two batter, one for three, with an RBI single and a walk. Uh, he and that Nats one-run eighth, a two-out RBI single to center field on an 0-2 pitch to cut the Nats deficit to 4-1. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was a big-time hero from that 2019 World Series, Patrick Corbin. Uh, a lot has happened with uh, Patrick Corbin since that 2019 World Series, most of it not good, at least professionally speaking. Uh, Patrick Corbin on Tuesday night had a mixed outing. Now, the run prevention was good. Uh, he allowed two runs in five innings. He issued a staggering five walks. Uh, he also had problems throwing strikes, 49 strikes versus 42 balls 
over 91 pitches. Uh, but Corbin gave up just four hits, two solo homers, a double, and a single. And he did record five strikeouts. Uh, all of the runs that Corbin allowed came in the bottom of the fifth, during which he allowed two runs on two solo homers. He gave up a leadoff homer by Mauricio Dubon to left field for a one nothing Astros lead and gave up a two-out solo homer by Kyle Tucker to right field for a 2 nothing Astros lead. Also in the inning was Corbin issuing a walk of Jose Altuve, but Corbin then picked Altuve off uh, as uh, Altuve got caught on an attempted steal of second base for the second out. Game two at the Astros Wednesday night at 8-10. Josiah Gray will be the dad starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles have gone from having lost 7 of 11 games to now having won 5 consecutive games. An 11-6 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Tuesday night in Game 1 of a three-game series as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column! (laughs) <laughs> that is correct, Joe. The win column. The O's now are 42-24. and 24. That is the second best record in the American League and is the second best record in the majors. Uh, the Orioles offense in their three-game sweep of the Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the weekend was great. The Orioles offense on Tuesday night was great. The O's pummeled the Blue Jays starting pitcher Chris Bassett, who allowed eight runs in three innings. The O's for the game totaled 17 hits, worked two walks, and went four for 14 with runners in scoring position. Eight of the Orioles' 17 hits were extra base hits, four home runs, and four doubles. Another big game for Gunnar Henderson, who is on fire right now. Uh, Henderson on Tuesday night as the Orioles' starting DH and number one batter, three for five with a grand slam and two singles. He ended Orioles' six-run third, smashed a two-out opposite field grand slam to left center field for an 8-1 Orioles lead. Gunnar Henderson now, in this month of June, is 14 for 29 with a walk. Think about that. 14 for 29. Uh, The 14 hits are comprised of five home runs, a double, and eight singles. Here was O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, you just seem to play with a ton of confidence right now. Uh, always swinging the bat at this with a purpose, and he's always had really good uh, strikes on awareness. And and you know, I think I think he even said it. You know, he was in between a lot in you know, the first month or so, and he's being more aggressive early in the count and and uh, doing damage on strikes. So uh, it's been it's been fun to watch him progress you know you never want to see somebody deal with adversity but it's all part of the process and part of being a major league player and uh gun just hadn't done that up here yet and now he's gone through it and he kind of knows how to get out of it and there's gonna there's gonna be peaks and there's gonna be valleys and right now he's he's on he's swinging the bat really really well and and hopefully he can keep it going for a while Yes, hopefully. Uh, Also on Tuesday night, more production from Aaron Hicks and Ryan O'Hearn. How about these guys? Uh, Hicks, as the Orioles starting center fielder and number six batter, went two for four with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Uh, Hicks and an Orioles one-run fourth, a two-out solo homer for a 9-2 Orioles lead. It was on May 30th that the O's as the corresponding roster move to placing center fielder Cedric Mullins on the 10-day entered list with a right groin strain signed Aaron Hicks to a major league contract off the New York Yankees on May 26, having released Hicks off having designated him for assignment. Uh, this season is Hicks's age 33 season, and he so far for the O's has been great. 41 plate appearances, an OPS of 1,000 155. And Ryan O'Hearn, he on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter, one for five, but the one was a two-run homer. Uh, O'Hearn in the Orioles six-run third, an opposite field two-run homer to left center field for a 4-1 Orioles lead. The O's this past January purchased O'Hearn from the Kansas City Royals. This season is his age 29 season, and Ryan O'Hearn in this regular season, 76 plate appearances and OPS of 991. Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Aaron Hicks and Ryan O'Hearn. Well, 
the pickup of Hicks and Ryan be, and Ryan being here, so what O'Hearn and Hicks have done in the, since what is it, ten games or so has been amazing. I think Hicks has been on base all twelve games. He's played a great center field. He made another really nice catch tonight in center. And he's taken great at-bats for us since he's gotten here. And Ryan, the same way. Just a couple guys that have filled in. We lost, uh, you know, Cedric was having just a great, great season. He's on his way back. He's, um, we're looking forward to getting him back here at some point. But in the meantime, other guys have picked up, picked it up around him. Santander swinging the bat better. Gunner, obviously, offensively, is, is really swinging the bat. So we're picking up the pieces around guys that, uh, that we, we're going to be that we've missed and we're going to miss for a little bit. And um, that's what good teams do. Yes, it is. And, you know, I mentioned the O's being without Cedric Mullins. The O's on Tuesday evening plays first baseman Ryan Mountcastle on the 10-day injured list with Vertigo. Uh, that placement on the 10-day IL is retroactive to June 10th. The O's have been without Mountcastle for a while, certainly have been without Mullins for a while, and yet still have won five consecutive games. Also for the O's on Tuesday night, Adam Frazier. He is the Orioles' starting second baseman and number seven batter, two for five with a two-run homer and an RBI single. Uh, Frazier in an Orioles two-run second, a one-out two-run homer to right field for a 2-1 Orioles lead. Adley Rutschman as the Orioles' starting catcher and number two batter, two for five with two doubles. Austin Hayes as the Orioles' starting left fielder and number five batter, two for five with two doubles and three strikeouts. Outstanding hitting by the O's on Tuesday night. And very good starting pitching by the O's on Tuesday night. Dean Kramer was at least solid for a seventh time in eight starts. Uh, Kramer in this 11-6 win over the Blue Jays. Two runs in six innings with six strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, He did give up eight hits, two doubles, and six singles. But he threw a lot of strikes. 95 pitches, 63 strikes versus 32 balls. A nice bounce-back outing by Kramer. He in the 10-2 loss at the Milwaukee Brewers last Wednesday night, June 7th, allowed six runs in five innings, although he in that game did have five strikeouts versus no walks. The disappointment for the O's on Tuesday night was with their bullpen. Four Orioles relievers combined to allow four runs in three innings. Brian Baker did toss a scoreless top of the seventh, but Austin Voth, CNL Perez, and Mike Bauman combined to allow four runs in two innings on six hits and three walks. Uh, The final score was 11-6. The O's were up 11-2 entering the eighth inning, but still a good win for the O's. Uh, They are back to doing very well of having struggled for a bit. Game two against the Blue Jays Wednesday night at 7.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 595. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Also, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday night at 8.10. Have game two of a three-game series at the Houston Astros. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.05. Have game two of a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Hey, Goldie. This is Coach Rivera at the Washington Commanders. How you doing? Now listen, pup. We got an opening. And right now, we think we got an opportunity to draft you and have you become a commander. No, that's right. We want you to be a commander. We want you to be the team dog.